went back to Indiana for Christmas. Um, it's sort of interesting. My family has sort of moved away from Fort Wayne or they're in Florida or different places. And so I really don't have an opportunity to see a lot of my family. But I went and I had lunch with one of my best friends. And when I went in and he was already sitting down, I went in and I saw him and I'm like, Jeff, what has happened? And here he has lost 30 pounds. And I don't know if you've ever seen somebody or been through the experience of losing weight. It's just a good feeling. And so when I saw Jeff, I was just like, one, I was feeling extremely guilty. But I was just feeling really glad for him. And he went on, he explained this new diet he was on. And, and I, I was just like interested and I was asking him questions. And, and I was, I actually left pretty determined that I was going to change and I was going to diet and I was going to exercise because I want to look like that. I want to lose 30 pounds. Sure enough, I think it was January 2nd or something, my, my sister uh, texted my brother and I and she said, I want to do this diet challenge. And I'm like, what? And so she's like, yes, her goal was to lose 30 pounds. And my brother's like, I'm there. I want to lose 30 pounds as well. And so we're doing sort of this brother-sister-brother competition. And I told him I was going to win because any competition, I want to win. And so you can pray for me that I will lose that weight. But I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how great it is to lose weight. And for people to be excited that you have lost weight. And for you to feel excited that you have lost weight. And I was thinking, when is the last time somebody came up to you, and not because you've lost weight, but because Christ is alive in your life? And they, they look at you and they say, what's going on? Explain the glow. Explain the perspective. Explain the attitude. I, I can see something different is occurring in your life. And you have the opportunity to say, yes, it's Jesus. I'm understanding who I am in Jesus. I'm understanding my purpose in life. And, and I'm feeling fulfilled. And it's just created a glow in me. It's created something attractive. And people will say, tell me more. Tell me more about what Christ is doing in your life. This series, Made for More, is designed to help us in whatever sphere we find ourselves to, to become more attractive, to become more giving and more loving and more kind and more compassionate. You see, Jesus said a promise that I've always uh, taken to heart, but sometimes I haven't said, yeah, but I don't know if it's totally real. Or I haven't experienced it. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And I've come that you might have life more abundantly. Christ came for the purpose that I could have more. More life. More energy. More joy. More love. More wisdom. More grace. And I want to experience that. But what some of us may not know is after Jesus said that, he said, but there is a thief. You have an enemy. The Bible describes him as being Satan or the devil. And he's out there. He's trying to rob you. He's trying to steal that life and that joy and that energy and that grace 
and who you were made to be, he's trying to steal that from us. What we're going to do is we're going to explore the book of Ephesians. And each week we're going to look at a chapter from the book of Ephesians. And it's an amazing book and it's full of what is called many mysteries. And it's sort of like bringing everything to light to understand who we are as Christians, who we are as a church and who we were created to be and what our families should look like and what it should look like at work and what it should look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit and what it should look like to pray and what it should look like to love others and what it should look like to live life from the fullest. Last night I looked up and I looked and I could see the stars real clearly. Did anybody see the stars last night? I don't know if anybody looked at the stars last night, but they were totally amazing. And and I was doing a little research on the stars and I don't know, does anybody know how many stars you can see with the naked eye? And it's pretty interesting if you start studying this. They, they say that you can see 9,000 stars with the naked eye. But if you sort of cut in half the hemisphere there, you're, you're down to 4,500 stars that you can see. Which made me wonder, you know, of those, well, how many was I actually seeing? Maybe I was seeing 50 or 100 or 200 and I was totally amazed. But yet, if I would just stand there and if I could see clearly and it was dark enough and to see these 4,000 stars up there. But then I did some study and I was like, how many stars actually are there? And I don't know if people actually know, but one study revealed that there was over 100 billion stars in our galaxy. It's just totally amazing, but I live most of my life and, and, and a lot of times in the evening, I'm not even paying attention to all the stars there are. And again, I haven't studied every star, but what I hear, every star is unique. Every star is special, and it's been created by God. And it's just interesting when I think about us as Christ followers, and us as Christians. Each one of us has been created by God, and we've been created for more. But each one of us, too, we're unique, and we're special, and we're different. And so as we go through this series, we're going to look at who we are generally, but we're also going to be looking at who we are specifically and our unique design that God has created us to be. So as we go through this, these are the the main points that I want us to see as we go through this series. You were made to be more, you were made to do more, and you were made to go more. You see, I think that every one of us is built in, inside of us, there's this, these questions, and these questions we're always asking, who am I, what am I to do, and where do I fit? One question deals with our identity or our design, how God made us and how he designed us, and who am I? And what we need to discover is once we discover who I am, we need to be that and we need to be comfortable with that. And we need to be that consistently. And we need to understand our purpose, which is our mission in life. Is how has God wired us and what are we to do with our lives? I think that's the question all of us are asking. What, what am I supposed to do? 
And as we face different roles in life, whether we're a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or a child or a grandparent, what am I supposed to do? And what is my purpose? And the job that God has given me, or maybe, maybe for some reason I'm not working right now. And what is my purpose? And where do I fit in this big scheme called life? And where am I on the map? And where am I to go? And where am I to live? These questions reveal these three truths, be, do, and go. And so as we go through the next uh, six weeks here, going through the book of Ephesians, I sort of want you to use this as a guide. And sometimes I will specifically mention it, but as you read through the book of Ephesians, which I would encourage you to do it, to read through the book of Ephesians, notice that just... Is it talking about who I am, my identity? Is it talking about my purpose? Or is it sort of talking about my place and where I fit? Each one of us has a core identity, a core purpose, and a core place. And that is how God has wired us all. And we're going to look at that specifically in just a second. But all of us also not only have this core identity purpose in place we all have a unique identity we have a unique purpose and we have a unique fit in a place that God wants us to be and the more you discover that the more you embrace it the more you go after that the more joy and gladness and perspective you will have Just generically to look at this. Who am I? I'm a Christian. That is my identity. I am one who is in Christ. And because I'm a Christian, what is my purpose in life? Well, it's to follow Christ. There's no point in being a Christian unless you're just saying, I just want to be a Christian so I go to heaven. But that doesn't really make a lot of sense. If you're going to heaven to spend an eternity with God and with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and other Christians, you might as well follow him. That makes the most sense. That is our purpose, to, to follow him, to be like him, to be a disciple, to make disciples. And where we go. We as a church, we've been talking about this quite often. In fact, we did a series called Ecclesia, and we were trying to say that the church is both a place where we gather together, but it's also where we go. And so where are we going? Where, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it's where we live, so our home and our community, but it's also where we work, where we study, where we play. Again, this is how God has wired us, and this is how we were made for more. So as we go through this series, each week we're going to look at a different shift or a change or a transition we all need to make. And here is the first transition we're going to do, and we're going to open up the word to it. We're going to shift from more effort to more grace. More of myself, so to speak, to more of God. More of me trying to, to do it to God doing it through me. From us as a church saying, you know, as a, as a church and as Christians, you just sort of, sort of need to suck it up and you need to try harder 
to, no, you need to experience more of the grace of God and the grace that he has for us. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear about more about grace. See, I, I grew up for, sort of in a home. It was a Christian home, but it still was about effort and work. It was about our performance and what you did. And then we would sort of do this pixie dust, and it was just a little pixie dust of add Jesus and grace to it, and everything will work out. But still, the emphasis was on self rather than being on Jesus. And so when we talk about more grace, we're talking about more Jesus. We're talking about more life. We're talking about more God. And we're talking about what it means to experience God 24-7 in his grace. One of the goals that you should establish for 2019 is not just to lose weight, like I'm saying, but one of the goals that all of us should have as Christians should be to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That comes from Peter, Jesus' best friend. He's like, we need to grow in this grace and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And I guarantee you, in fact, you can get your money back if you put any money in. You can get your money back. The more you pursue grace, the more change and the more of life you will experience because you never lose when you move away from your own effort to God's grace. So turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't know where Ephesians is, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And then Acts and Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And then you got General Electric Company, G for Galatians, E for Ephesians, P for Philippians, C for Colossians. And if you want to be Jewish, you can say Gentiles eat pork continually. So the book of Ephesians. Now this is what you need to know about Ephesians. It was written by the Apostle Paul who hated church and he hated Christians. But then there was a shift in his life. He experienced the grace of God. And whenever he talked about the grace of God, he said, something happened in my life. I was the worst of sinners. I was doing everything I could to destroy Christ and destroy the message of Christ. But grace got a hold of my life and it changed me forever. The other thing you need to know about the, the book of Ephesians, it's sort of the constitution. It's the constitution of what it means to be a Christ follower. Every Christian should know the book of Ephesians. It teaches us about God's grace, but it teaches us about what it means to be in Christ and to live the Christian lifestyle. So Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to bounce around a little bit. But I want to read the greeting to you because the greeting reveals to us who I am, why I'm here, where I fit. Notice in 1.1 it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He's talking about his unique identity, his unique purpose, and his unique calling. He says he's an apostle. What's an apostle? Well, apostle is sort of an entrepreneur. 
a church planter, an evangelist, someone who goes out there and starts churches. And he's saying that he literally means a sent one. He's saying, I am on mission. I have been sent by God himself with a purpose. You see, Paul understood his identity, his being. He understood his doing and his going. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints, over 240 times in Scripture, you're referred to as a saint. Not a sinner, but as a saint. That means that God has a special calling on your life. And he's got a calling on my life. It describes who we are. And so if we just wanted to say, who am I meant to be? I'm meant to be a saint. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to live like a saint. Where am I supposed to go? I'm supposed to go everywhere a saint will go. And that's where we live, work. And play. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. That phrase, in Christ Jesus, is so important. Over 150 times in the New Testament, it talks about us being in Christ Jesus. It's talking about our relationship, who we're related to, is Jesus Christ. Literally, a Christian is one The end part, the I-A-N of Christian, is one who is in Christ. One who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. So he's saying, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And here's the theme that Paul always talks about. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to learn about this grace. And as you study the book of Ephesians, you're going to understand you're saved by grace. You grow by grace. You love by grace. You experience everything in this life is by God's grace. But for some reason, and I don't know if this is just the, the American way, but we're, we're going to be built strong and built tough and we're going to do it and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just go for it and, and make something of your life. But we're not going to even see that in Ephesians 1. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we've done. It's all about grace. So verse 3 says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, or literally enriched us, in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't know, have you ever prayed the prayer, Lord bless me? I mean, it's a common prayer, you know. It's really not a logical prayer. The, The prayer actually should be, Lord, help me to see all the blessings that you have given me. Lord, help me to see how blessed I truly am. I I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, every blessing that I need for my marriage, for my family, for work, you name it, for figuring out life. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're we're trying to memorize this as a family and 
started to, to work on it, and it's hard for me because, as you guys know, I've got good memory, and so if I already memorize this, so maybe I'm trying to force my family to memorize it or force Mason to mem- memorize it. And so we're talking about this, and Michelle and I were talking about this. It's so interesting that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, but the things that get us so frustrated in life is that we feel like we're missing out on earthly blessings. Yes, earthly blessings are a part of everything that God gives us by his grace. But when is the last time you just said, I'm just going to be thankful for every spiritual blessing I have, everything I have to live the Christian life. And then notice what he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And again, notice that everything is built upon a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've shared before that uh, my mom was a politician and um, she served as a state representative. And I I really appreciated my mom and my mom had opportunities, and sometimes she would share those opportunities with me, and sometimes we would go places, and sometimes it was uh, just a special event or an occasion, and it, it was sort of interesting. You sort of got to go in the VIP room where all the food and the drinks and sort of the fun is, and if I wanted to go into that VIP room, people were like, who are you? I would just follow along. I'm with my mom. I'm with my mom. And and I got to go in and I got to experience all the benefits of sort of the VIP experiences. We got a great VIP and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's taken us into these heavenly places so that we can experience everything that he has in store for us to live out in this world. Now notice verse 5, it says, he predestined us or he called us, and we get hung up on that, for adoption as sons and daughters. I want to talk about adoption. Uh, One of the things, as you know, our story, um, we've had the wonderful privilege of two of our children that we had the privilege of adopting, uh, Micah and Mackenzie. And sometimes I think when we see the word adoption in Scripture, we think about that adoption because many of our families have adopted. And when you you see that and you apply what you see or have experienced to Scripture, sometimes it's going to miss the mark. Because what Paul is speaking about when he speaks about adoption, he's speaking about it from the Roman perspective. You see, in Rome, this is the way adoption worked. In order to adopt, you had to be a male and you had to be childless. So the only people that could do the adopting were males who did not have children. And then you may ask yourself, well, why would, wouldn't that be the great life to be male and single and not have any children? But no, Because life was built on an identity and passing that identity down and your heritage down and your tradition and usually your finances and all of that, passing it down to the next generation. 
In order to be adopted, you had to be an adult. Now this changes the whole perspective. You had to be an adult and you had to have no parents and usually you were poor, you didn't have any identity. But as that adult, you had to to okay it. You had to accept it. You need to say, yes, I'm, I'm willing to be adopted by this person. And whenever anybody talked about adoption from a Roman perspective, they understood that something happened. It created a new identity. It created a new creation. In in fact, they would sometimes describe that person as a new creation because they had been adopted. And they now had a new identity. And usually it meant they now had a new inheritance. And it was life-changing. And so when somebody reads this, and then, you know, in the first century when they were reading this in the the time of Ephesians, they they would be saying, wow. My identity has totally changed. I moved from being a nothing spiritually, so to speak, to being something great and awesome as a child of God. Notice verse 6, it says, To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, or in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, again, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God has showered his grace upon us. I I can't remember when, but we took our family to the Niagara Falls. Anybody been to the Niagara Falls? I don't know. You need to go sometime. It's just quite amazing. But the thing that I remember about the Niagara Falls is I wanted to get close to the falls, as close as I could, but there was a problem. There was so much power. There was so much energy. There was so much overflowing with it. And as you got closer, not only could you hear the sound, you could feel it because water was spraying on you. And it just was an awesome experience to stand in the presence of the Niagara Falls because of everything that was pouring forth. My friends, this is what grace is. When grace touches your life, it's like the Niagara Falls. It's the power and the strength. And you should feel it. And you should feel this is is great, but it's also scary at the same time because it is so powerful and majestic and powerful. And Paul is saying we've been lavished. We've been poured upon. We've experienced. We've taken a bath in grace. And it's the grace of God. Let your eyes jump down to verse 11. It says, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Just stop back and and think about this specifically. Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, they have a plan. And this plan is for us as Christians and for us as a church. And we need to, again, just like there's billions of stars out there, we need to understand that there's billions of ways that God wants to use us and that we've been created for more. We just need to start looking. Notice verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope 
in Christ might be the praise of his glory. That's what I was talking about when I saw my friend Jeff. I'm like, wow, you look good. People should look at you and say, oh, wow, your hope is contagious. You're the praise of something, not maybe of yourself, but the praise of the glory of God. Then it says in verse 13, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. We should all be dancing and singing and be excited. The Holy Spirit is coming and sealed us. He indwells us. He's empowered us. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The word that I do not want you to miss is the word believe. It's interesting. I've had a few discussions with people lately on the word believe. There's only one Greek word for the word believe. It means that to have trust. It means to have confidence. It means to have assurance. And the only way to understand that you're made for more is to believe in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means I'm not going to have trust and confidence in my own effort, in my religion, in trying to do what is right. But I'm going to have confidence and trust and assurance in the promises of God and in the finished work of Jesus Christ. What is the promises of God? Well, there are many. But basically, he's constantly saying, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone's hungry, if anyone's looking for more in this life, then come to me, believe in me, believe in the finished work of the cross, believe in the resurrection, and I will give you life, and I will give it to you more abundantly and to the fullest. Paul moves on from this excitement and this praise to verse 15. He says, for this reason. And if you just look at verses 1 through 14 as our identity, who we are as a being. We're not only saved and redeemed and adopted and chosen and given a purpose. We're not only saints and forgiven. But we're much more than that. We have an inheritance. We have a future. We have a hope. That's all in our identity. And so Paul's going to say, now, how we have been created is going to determine how we're going to live. And so he says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith, which is the same word for believe and trust and confidence, in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, if you're looking for something to pray for your spouse, something to pray for your children, something to pray for your grandchildren, this is what I I would take after the advice of Paul. A spirit, not the Holy Spirit here, but an attitude, a perspective of wisdom and of knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because life is more with Jesus. The more Jesus we have, and again, that's why I love that hymn, Give Me Jesus, the more Jesus and the more we know about Jesus, the more we will have. Because Jesus is more than any effort we can bring to the table. 
And so we need to know him more. Notice verse 18 says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. It's interesting, Brian and I, we've been talking a lot about the church today and what's going on in the church. And there's a tendency to, for church to be more about emotionalism. And drawn sort of to emotional experiences and emotional speakers. And again, that's great because God wants to touch our feelings and he wants us to connect with him and, and, and to feel love for him and to feel worship and feel accepted and to feel all this. But the truth of the matter, it's not really emotionalism. I think that would follow enlightenment enlightenment it changed our world we have an era called the era of enlightenment or the age of reason where we got out of the dark ages and too many of us as christians we're still in the dark ages spiritually and we need to ask god to enlighten us and to show us and well what's he supposed to show us well three things that you may know notice they're all what's what is the hope what is the riches and what is the greatness of the power of those who believe? But notice the first one, what is the hope? And when we did the Joy to the World series, I said, my heart's calling for you guys and for the community is that we'll have hope because too many people are hopeless. You see, being made for more, there is hope. And only in Christ is there hope. And that's why we as Christians, we should be the most hopeful and we should be the most contagious because we have a hope that is second to none. It says, what is the hope in which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance as saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who will believe according to the working of his great might? What are we supposed to do? I think Paul would be saying what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to live out this Christian life with enlightenment, with knowledge, with hope, with perspective. Hey, we're, we're supposed to follow Christ. We're to get to know Christ. We're to love Christ. And that leads to where we need to wrap this up in verse 22. And it's talking about Christ being far above every ruler. And so if you're worried about our country right now, from whatever perspective you're looking at, if you're concerned about our world now, just know something. Jesus Christ is above all. Above all rulers, presidents, lords, masters, employers, whatever hardship you may be seeing from whatever rulers you see out there. Jesus Christ is above all that. And notice verse 22, and it says, and he put all things under his feet. I don't know, just think about it. All things under his feet. That's telling me that Jesus is big. Jesus is much more. And in order for this made for more series to work in your life and in your family's life and in your friend's life, if you pass on this message, you, you need to tell people that they need to become less. That's what John the Baptist said. I, I need to become I must decrease so Christ can increase. You see, Jesus is bigger. Jesus is more. 
And so the the logic goes, the more I get to know Jesus, the more of Jesus I will have in my life. Because everything is under his feet. That implies power, but it also implies victory. Victory and triumph is ours in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we've been made for more. And he's coming to reestablish his kingdom. And notice what it says, gave him head as over all things to the church. Here's something I think that is missing today. And that's why we did the whole series, Ecclesia. I think we, we're missing the perspective on what it means to be the church. Again, you don't come to church to feel good. And we as pastors, we don't want you to come to church just so that we can say, look at our attendance or look at our offering or look, we have all these ministries. That's all backwards. The church is something that was made for more and empowered for more. And Jesus is Lord over it. And it's our privilege to be a part of the church. But notice this. It says he gave him head over all things to the church. That's the ecclesia. Those of us called out as Christians to be together which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. The fullness, the richness of who Jesus Christ is in the church is to saturate the whole world. This is why I can say with confidence, where am I supposed to go? And again, generically for all of us, it's where we live, it's where we work, it's where we play, it's where we learn. Is where we experience life. We're supposed to take Jesus and his lordship and the more of Jesus everywhere. And people should start seeing more Jesus in our family, more Jesus at work, more Jesus at school, more Jesus on the athletic field. We need to start seeing more Jesus in our lives because that's what we are the church. And guess what? The more we are Jesus in the church, as the church goes, and this is what I think about church, if you're wondering what's the vision of church, is that we go into our community and we fill it and saturate it with the grace of God, with the love of God, with the truth of God, that there is hope in Christ Jesus, that there is acceptance and love and mercy in Christ Jesus and that we have been created for more and the more we make Jesus bigger the more our community will experience Jesus and people will come up to us and say what's going on what's going on in your life what's going on in your marriage what's going on in your church I don't know what is what's happening but I want to have a piece of that because it's attractive it's inspiring life change. And it all starts when we prayerfully ask that the Lord will give us Jesus in the morning when we rise.